If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the first chapter of the book of John. I looked it up, and it was the end of August that we began the prologue of the book of John in chapter 1, and it is the new year, and we are in verse 19. Uh, Hallelujah, we're going to do at least uh, 10 verses today. We're going to see that the, the prologue of the, the gospel sees Jesus in an eternal perspective. Everything is lofty. Everything is from, from outside of the universe, looking upon who Jesus is as God. And then we see in this part of the passage, after the prologue, starting in this, this is really, I would consider, the first verse of how John is now going to look at the life of Christ trying to convince us who Jesus is. That's his purpose. And as we look in it, he's going to bring in witnesses. He's going to bring in signs. He's basically doing two things in the beginning of his book. The end of his book is full of the last seven days of Jesus. We see the whole second half of the book of John is the end of Jesus' ministry and the end of his life and what he's doing, watching him so specifically. The first half of his book, he's going to, to show miracles and witnesses. And we're going to go from one to another person who has been, who's had his life transformed by, uh, by Jesus Christ. So we've already seen that in the theme, one of the themes that we lay out in the prologue is testimony and witnessing. And we see that right in the middle of prologue, we meet John the Baptist. And John is now going to start speaking, and he's going to speak for much of the rest of the chapter. And he is going to, instead of pull from, from outside of the universe, looking at the person of Jesus in who he is eternally, we're now going to be pulled back, and we're going to look at Jesus from who he is historically in the Bible. So we're going to be pulled back into the Old Testament. We're going to see that John is going to be um, interviewed or quizzed uh, by a delegation from Jerusalem today. That's what we're, what we're going to see. And as he is, we're going to see all of these pictures of who Jesus is uh, as they investigate John, because many people thought that John was the Messiah, uh, who he was not. So if you'll read with me, we're going to start in chapter 1, starting with verse 19, and we'll go through verse 28. This is God's word. And this is the record of John when uh, Jews sent uh, priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who art thou? that we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And as they that which were, uh, were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou them, if thou be not the Christ, nor Elias, nor that prophet? John answered to them, saying, I baptize with water, 
but there stands among, a one among you whom you know not. He it is who comes after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Beth Arba, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. So remember that at the end of the book of John, in the 20th chapter of John, John says, all of these things that I wrote to you were in order for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he's the Messiah sent by God, and that he is God. That is what you're to believe. I will do my very best to outline things that actually are true, things that I witnessed, things that that other people witnessed, that you can see Jesus day by day and minute by minute as he goes through his life living as a man the way God would live as a man. And that is John's purpose here. And so he is going to pull back to John the Baptist. We already saw him three or four verses in the middle of the prologue. And John has actually already said, he is before me. Even, I, even though he comes after me, he's preferred before me because he was before me, which is mysterious. How can someone that comes after me be before me? Because John, in, as a prophet, is speaking about the eternal Christ. Even above his understanding of what was going on, he was speaking God's words, and as he spoke, he's talking about Jesus. Now, he came to remember, if you remember uh, in verse 7, it said John came as a witness. Now, remember a witness. The word witness here is the same way word we get the word martyr from. So witnessing is not just what did you see, what do you know, but a witness many times will cost you everything. To be a witness in the proper way is to, is to be changed by what you see. It's not simply just to check it off and say, okay, that's something I know or something uh, like your times tables or your spelling list or whatever. It's something that changes you on the inside. You're a different person having known those things that you witnessed and that you are a witness to. And so he came as a witness. Verse 8 said that he was a witness to the light. And remember uh, at that part in the prologue, uh, Jesus was being shown even in metaphors beyond the ability to even understand he is life. And that life was the light of men. And John came to testify unto that light. He was a witness to that light. So his purpose was to testify about Christ. These people came to him asking him questions about himself. And it made him totally nervous, made him totally uncomfortable. And it made him even a little bit rude, I think. We'll see. It, then in John 15, verse 15, he said he testifies uh, concerning him that this is the one who came after me is preferred before me because he came before me. So John is pulling all this together. He's pulling uh, this, this beginning witness. And remember, John is chosen to be the beginning witness in John the Apostle's gospel because he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. This is the very last one who couldn't see quite well. And even John will, will uh, confess, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know him until the voice, the, until God said, the one that you see the dove descending on, he is the Messiah. John said, I was looking like all prophets look into the murky unknown, into the distant future, into the I don't know. 
into the things that only God was, was clearing up as he was speaking. And so John the Apostle chooses John the Baptist to be the first spokesman or witness because John is going to see. See, John was both. He was an Old Testament prophet looking forward, and he was a New Testament uh, herald that was saying, I see him, behold. So when he tells in the next portion, when he tells the apostles that are his disciples, behold the Lamb of God. He is looking directly at the Messiah. John had eyes to see in two different ways. So John the Apostle chooses him to be that first witness. Now, you have to realize what was going on at this time. The, the high officials in Jerusalem were absolutely spooked because John the Baptist was in Beth, what was it, Beth Arba, on the, on the other side of the Jordan, um, Beth Abara, on the other side of the Jordan, in the middle of the desert. In the middle, nobody lived there. This wasn't like just the suburbs. This was into the nowhere place, and you had to cross the Jordan. On the other side of Jordan was where he was baptizing. It was a big deal to go out to him, and thousands went out to him. Matthew says the whole, the whole world was going out to him. Everybody in Jerusalem was coming out and hearing him preach and being baptized. And the people who were really in charge, the high officials, were absolutely unnerved by this. What in the world is going on? And they heard his messages because they had sent spies before, and they heard John preach, and John's, uh, John's sermon was, was not very nice. It wasn't very seeker-friendly. He was absolutely just thundering, and he, he said, repent. Turn around from what you're doing. Turn around from what you're saying. Turn away the way you're thinking. Turn away the way you understand things. Turn away from your sin and be ready to accept the king because the king is coming. So he would say, repent, and then the next thing he would say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now we see Jesus coming to preach, and that will be the very first words out of his mouth. Jesus' words is, repent, the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand, right at the doors, right here in your face. The end times, that's what he was saying. All of the prophets spoke about the end days. They're here, that's what he's saying. And this scared the, the officials. Everybody wants to keep everybody in their place. They want everybody, all the cogs in the machine to run nice and smooth and don't upset the cart. And he was doing something even more scary he was baptizing, and that didn't made no sense at all. Baptism for the Jews only was used when you were a Gentile or a pagan coming from another religion, and you decided that you wanted to follow the Lord of the Hebrews. And what they did in order basically to give a picture that you had to clean off that filth that was stuck to you from your previous life, they would baptize converts. But nobody baptized the Jews. The Jews were God's people. You don't baptize them to get rid of the filth that doesn't exist to you because you belong to God. That made nobody, no sense to anybody. What are you doing? And so what they were thinking is, wow, I bet something has happened. We've got to investigate because this, he's preaching in times. He's preaching repentance. He's, pre he's preaching baptism the baptism of repentance. And it wasn't just the officials that, that thought that John the Baptist could be the Messiah. 
Most of the people did. This is from Luke 3. And the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John whether he were the Christ or not. So lots of people thought, he's acting just like the Messiah. It's the Messiah that's going to usher in the end days. It's the Messiah that's going to do this. Maybe he's the Messiah. So the Pharisees, or if not just the Pharisees, the, the high officials in Jerusalem sent a delegation to John. And the delegation had, was mixed of different people. So it said that there were priests that came in this, that there were Levites that came in this, and the Pharisees. So either the, they all were Pharisees, it's a little bit unsure, either all of these people were Pharisees, the, the priests and the Levites were Pharisees, or the Pharisees were among those that sent them to go. So either way, there were Pharisees among them. So these are the people who were the ones trying, trying, trying to do all the law. They were trying, they, the details, they were the detail people that really, really, really wanted to get all of the things right. Now, the Levites were... Um, I'm sorry, the priests, it's interesting they would send priests because the priests had two jobs. The priests were to sing, they were the musicians, and the, the, the priests also dealt um, with ceremonial washings. So these were, the, these were the, um, the festivals, they were in charge of the festivals, and also the, the washings, the, clean, the cleanliness. The idea of they, they would wash their hands before they eat, all these things, and the priests were kind of in charge of that. The idea that you would call a Jew to repentance by washing them made no sense to them, and that was their job, so they were sent. Now, the Levites' other job, besides being the musicians, were that they were the temple police. Now, that is, in, that is threatening. They sent the temple guard and we see that it was the temple guard that arrested Jesus later. It was the temple guard. It was the Levites. Why they would come is basically they were the, they were the, the thugs. They were the guy that you would in, be intimidated. They didn't just want to seek information. They were trying to change things. They were trying to intimidate John. Maybe John will stop what he's doing. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what a big effect he's having. Practically, the place was in revival. And it was all God's plan. A revival is God's people being renewed. That God's one and only purpose accounts, and that is that Jesus will be glorified. That's what a revival is. It is God's people being renewed, being refreshed. And so all of this came from God. God did this. And the revival that John was having was a threat. Like anything that God does, it threatens people in power. Everything God does threatens people in power because they want to hold on to the power. So they sent, they were sent there, they come to him, and they quiz him. Now, John the Baptist doesn't strike me as being very politically correct, or, very, or, or, or even a sweetie pie, okay? He was gruff, he was, he was you know, he's the one that said, who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? This was John the Baptist. You come here to be baptized? Who warned you to escape hell? You brood of vipers? Like, this is who he talked to. This isn't, this isn't I, you need to feel good about yourself so that you'll eventually, a million years later, come to Jesus. No, he was basically throwing condemnation in their face and letting them deal with it. John the Baptist, was, I, I would say, wasn't, would be hard to have lunch with. 
But, at this, but they came and they were questioning him. Now, I think you almost think of it as a comedy. Who's questioning whom? And who's the one that's in charge? I, I can see it. It would be funny to watch that. Because the big bullies coming to kind of bully up, this is God's man. This is God's man. And nobody doubted that this could be the very Messiah. The, the, the Levites thought it. The, the people in charge of the Levites thought it. All of them thought it. But John said, I am not. This is verse 20. And he confessed and denied not, but confessed. Now tell me, I don't know how to write a sentence, but that is a complicated sentence. He confessed and denied not, but confessed. When you, when you put this back into the way it was written, really the only way they could say it, it was he emphatically said, I'm not the Christ. That's basically all he could say. In the strongest possible language, as strong as I could say it, I am not the Christ. Now, Christ, remember, is just the Greek word for Messiah. I am not the Messiah. I am not the king who will sit on David's throne reigning forever. I am not the son of David. I am not God's suffering servant. I am not. I am not. Now, interesting, when he says, he confessed and I not, I am not the Christ. That is a short sentence. I am not the Christ. That's his longest sentence he gives as they talk to him. That's the long sentence. Every other sentence gets shorter. So when you look at it, kind of smile to yourself, just thinking, this guy's mad. Okay? Because he's insulted and he understands the wickedness that he's looking into. He's looking into wicked religious people. And that makes him mad. Does it make you mad? It makes me mad. Okay? And this is someone that Jesus said, I tell you the truth, born among women, there's none that is high as John Baptist. Born among women. Okay, what does that mean? This man is a man, and he confessed not, I am not the Christ. All right, so the second question, they have to say, okay, well, what's the second question? Well, then, are you Elijah? Now, interesting, why would they say that? Are you, the, are you Elijah? You remember Elijah? Elijah was a prophet, and Elijah never died. Do you remember that? This is from 2 Kings 2. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire. Do you remember this from Sunday school? I remember the, I remember the flannel graph lesson that I learned this on. And the, and the chariot of fire and the horses of fire and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So Elijah did not die. He, he was assumed. Now, interesting, because why would they expect that he would be Elijah? It's because of the last verse of the Old Testament. The very last words that God had spoken before he went completely silent. John was 400 years after this. So we're talking about if you were accustomed to hearing from God, and God would send prophets, sometimes overlapping to where you would have more than one prophet at the same time ministering to Israel or Judah or the kings or, or whomever, or the other countries. For 400 years, they had no one. That would be the time of Shakespeare. We're talking about nobody had heard from God. There was no message from God. And the last sentence, the last two sentences, were about Elijah. This is from Malachi, the last book of the, of the Old Testament, verse 5 of chapter 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the, the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. 
I will send you Elijah. And the last verse, verse 6, says, and he will set the, the hearts of the children towards the fathers and the hearts of the fathers towards the children. That there will be a whole mind change. I will send you Elijah, and Elijah will be, uh, will be in some way a prompter for repentance to make you ready. And that's the end. There was no more message from God. And so they were like, could it be Elijah? If this indeed is the end times, he's preaching the end times, if, is he, if he's preaching culmination things, if he's talking about especially this idea of repentance by baptism, maybe this is Elijah that, that, that God said he would send. So they really wanted to know. So these were people who knew the questions to ask. They knew who to look for. They weren't totally stupid. They knew what to look for, and they knew what questions to ask, and they asked him directly. Now, remember he said, I am not the Christ? Okay. So when he denies the second time, he basically says, I'm not. I am not. I'm not Elijah. I'm not Elijah. But you can imagine that a lot of people thought that John the Baptist was Elijah. He dressed like Elijah. Elijah's message was the same as John the Baptist. Do you remember? What did John the Baptist wear and eat? It's another Sunday school. I, I guess most of, my, most of my back of my mind is filled with when I was seven. But he, he dressed, had a leather girdle, he wore a camel skin coat, and he ate grasshoppers. Do you remember that? And, and honey. And Chris is like, amen, brother. He ate wild honey. Well, so did Elijah. This, in fact, he dressed like this in a reminiscent way. It was almost like wearing something completely out of style. Nobody dressed like that, but he dressed like that. In, in basically a way to call your mind back to the, to the prophets of old. So in 2 Kings 1, it says, And they answered him, um, this was the, the people, and he came out, and the bears, and the bears ate people, and ate the kids. Be careful. He was a hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins and said he's Elijah the Hitchbite. He was, he was clothed in the same getup that, that John Baptist was. In, in fact, it was a way to kind of visually remind you to go back and remember the things that Elijah had said. And so some people were like, well, maybe he's Elijah because God said, I'll send you Elijah. Well, he said, no. He simply denied it. I am not the literal Elijah. But because Elijah never died, people thought it's possible that he actually is Elijah, that Elijah is, is still alive and he simply came back and who we know as John the Baptist is Elijah. Well, he said, no, I'm not Elijah. I am not, is all he said. Now, Jesus later is talking to his disciples. This is in Matthew chapter 17. And Jesus said he was indeed Elijah. Now, this is interesting. So in one sense, he was not. Because he was not literally Elijah. He was John the Baptist. He was not. Elijah was a different person. But he said, no, I'm not. Interesting that basically he, he may have understood that, that, there was, that he was sent in the power of Elijah or whatever, but he didn't care to talk to these nasty guys. And he was giving them the cold shoulders, what he was. I think he was being rude. But in Matthew 17, Jesus is talking. This is after John has already died. He, was, he lost his head uh, because he spoke the truth. And when you speak the truth to power, you have to pay for that. And, and John did. This is Jesus. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elias must first come? That's Elijah. 
Jesus answered and said to them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah is, Elias has come already, and they knew him not, but have done to him whatsoever they listed. Likewise also shall the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So in some sense, he was Elijah, but he wasn't Elijah, the person. But he, he had that basically, like Elijah came, with the power. Remember Elijah, uh, Elisha, who was his secretary, asked for his power? Will you give me his power? And he was like, I don't know about that. You know, that has nothing to do with me. If God wants to give you a double dose of my spirit, fine. He said, he said when I'm taken up, if the mantle falls and you can catch it, then, then God's with you. And, and Elisha actually uh, took his cape, took his cloak, and, uh, and the, the, spirit, the spirit of power came upon him just as Elijah. And this is essentially what was happening to John. John spoke and people trembled. John said, I hate your guts, you're a bunch of sinners. And people were like, what do I do to be saved? Because it was God that was speaking to them. It wasn't, it wasn't slick rhetoric. It wasn't, this guy I don't like, he doesn't talk right, or I don't like him because he's not smart, or I don't like him because he's too this or that. God's power was in a punching bag behind him. And when he spoke, people were trembling, and thousands were ready for the Messiah. Thousands were ready for Messiah. We think of Jesus coming and everybody rejecting him, but Peter preaches, and 3,000 Jews come to Jesus in a day. Well, how, did, how was that ready? How did that happen? Because John the Baptist preached to them first and prepared them so that they were ready to receive the, the king when the king was shown. The king was still not shown because he came as a herald. He came as a, as a forerunner. Just like the, the eastern kings would come and say, I'm coming through, you tell them I'm coming, you make a way. Okay, I don't want to come through a crowded marketplace and have to be stuck in traffic. You plow the road because I'm coming. And then when you go back and, and, and when John finally says, no, 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 I am the voice in the wilderness, then you're like, every valley shall be ex exalted and every hill and mountain be made low. There will be a pathway God sets you up to accept his son. Some of the stuff in your life that you hate the worst was God working in your life that you might accept the Lord, that you were not a brat, that you didn't get your pony so that God would save your soul. I thank God for every no that he's ever given me. I thank him that he has broken down hills that I could find him, that he has pulled up valleys that I could cross. And he drugged me to the cross because he loves us. And he works in our lives. And John was being used to break down mountains. He was being used to fill in ditches so that the people would be ready for the Messiah who was about to be revealed in this chapter. In chapter 1 of John, we'll see Jesus for the first time. Third question. Okay, you're not Elijah. You're not the Messiah. Are you that prophet? Okay. Now, that prophet is capitalized. That prophet is from Deuteronomy. This is Moses. God made a promise to the people through Moses. 
So this is Deuteronomy chapter 18. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from among the midst of thee of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him you shall hearken. According to all that desired in the day of Horeb and the day of assembly, saying, Let not me hear the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see the great fire any more, or I die not. The Lord said, They have spoken well that they have spoken, but I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren. Jesus was a Jew, sent to the Jews, born under the law, that he might free us from, from the tyranny of the law. Like unto thee, like unto you, Moses, but different from you. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak them unto, uh, into all that I command him. And it shall come to pass that whoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Now that's the most terrifying passage in Deuteronomy. To God who is boiling in fire and smoke on top of Mount Sinai. This is scarier because they said, I'm going to send a prophet and anybody that doesn't listen to him, I will require their soul. I will require their soul. They must listen. Must. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we had, you can name all the prophets. You can name the big prophets. No one thought that Isaiah was that prophet. No one thought Jeremiah was that prophet. It was a, it was, in fact, it was capitalized in everybody's mind. It was someone that God would send that, who, whose words were so powerful that people would finally listen to them. Because nobody listened to the Old Testament prophets. They killed them with the sword. They, dis, they, they ignored them and killed them. We're, we're led to the slaughter all day long. We're, we're the offscouring of the earth. This is, these are God's people who they killed one after another after another. And, and Jesus cried over Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who killed every prophet I ever sent to you. Wouldn't, would you that I would gather you like the little baby chickens under my wings, but you would not have it. That's amazing. So that prophet was always looked for. And it, later people started clicking that prophet is the Messiah. But that made no sense because he just said he was not the Messiah. But they're like trying, they're grasping at straws. Are you that prophet? And his final answer was no. I just love it. He's like, get out of my, please get out of my sight. You know, get off my riverbank. This is my riverbank. Go away. He didn't even, he just said no. He didn't even say no, I'm not. No. Just, I just think that's interesting. So their follow-up question was, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Okay? Who are you really? And John said, you searching the Old Testament looking for me? Is that what you're doing? Are you going everywhere for me? Let me show you your Bible. You don't know your Bible well enough. You need to look in Isaiah because I'm the voice calling in the wilderness. You have to go to the wilderness. That's where people are. People are in the wilderness, and if you're going to go there, you have to go to the wilderness. And he went out literally to Beth Arba in the middle of nowhere on the bank of the river in the scorching heat, and people came in droves to him, to hear him. And he went and he said, I am the voice calling out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. 
Every valley shall be exalted and every hill made low. You want to look at me? That's where you're going to find me. So then you have to say, okay, if that's who he is, what's the context of that chapter? Verse, verse 1 of chapter 40 starts out, we read it today, comfort you, comfort you, my people. Be, speak comfortably to Jerusalem and tell them that their warfare is accomplished, that they've paid double for all their sins. I no longer have anything against you. All of your crimes have been taken care of. Do you see the cross? Jesus paid it so that we have nothing, God has nothing against you. He doesn't look at you with probation. He has nothing but grace for you because Jesus paid with his blood for that right. But he was preparing the way. Let every mountain be chopped down. Let every, it, it's the it's mountaintop removal. Let everything be ready so that a road could be made so that any soul that can see the king can get to him as fast as he can. Do you see, he, Isaiah was written, writing to a people just about to go into captivity. They were going to be hauled off to Babylon, to a far country, far away from where they were. And he was saying, oh no, you are in an exile far worse than Babylon will ever be. You are in a spiritual dark exile so deep and so far away from God. You are exiles from God, and you need to return. And that's what Jesus said. He came to restore all things, to restore them, so that they would be ready to be saved, so that they would return to God, that they would repent and turn to God, that God might show his loving kindness to them. Do you see, only the suffering servant, Isaiah's mind, eventually, because 40 turns into 50 and 50 into 52 and 53, and we hear now the suffering servant who pays, it's, it's by his stripes that we are healed. And the, the, the chastisement of his peace was placed upon his back. It's the suffering servant that allows you to be out of exile. That's what John's message was. John's message, he said, that's who I am. You want to look in the Bible for me? That's where you'll find me. You'll find me preparing people who recognize that they're not right with God. Do you recognize you're not right with God? Do you truly in the inside part of your soul know that you will stand and be damned? That's what, that's what he was preaching to. He was preaching to the brood of vipers because they were broods of vipers. And we're broods of vipers. And there will be people that will hear this message. There will be people that will wake up and say, I'm not right with God. I must go to God. And then the gospel will come to them in sweetness. Then Jesus on the cross will finally mean something to them. And they'll realize that the love of God reaches to the lowest pit of hell and pulls them out by the ears. That's what John was preaching. He said, I baptize with water. Nothing. It's water. It's a symbol for someone who wants to return to God out of their exile. But one who you do not know is standing among you who will baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And that's a true baptism. Baptism means completely dunked in the pool, thrown in over your head and completely submerged, immersed. That's what baptism is. And so you are baptized in this river as a show of something that you want to happen in your heart. 
He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost in such a way that you will please God in all you do by being who you are. You are forgiven in Jesus. That pleases God Almighty. The perfect one, the Holy One, is pleased with you, the sinner, because you have been immersed. You've been thrown into the Lord Jesus. And he said, and he will baptize with fire. There will be an immerse of fire, and he will judge the world. And the wood, hay, and stubble will burn up in our lives. And don't think there's not plenty of wood, hay, and stubble in our lives. But they will burn up, hallelujah, and only the good will last. It'll be a purging, and we will have nothing but God's pleasure forever. But the fire to a person who responds in continuing in their sin is terrifying. He said, I'm just a water baptizer. There's a better baptizer than me, and there's a holier baptism than mine. And I, you don't even know him. So when, so when, you, you, see, when you see your need of a Savior, you have the proper readiness to come to him. Then when the gospel is given to you, you'll respond. You'll respond. So don't try too hard with your friends to get them saved by being nice to them and telling them that God will help them with their problems and that God is good, for, you know, and it's a wonderful life to have a Christian life and it's so wonderful that, you know, we're at peace with God. <laughs> you must tell them. And I hate that. I hate to say that you must tell them that they've offended a holy God and are not right because John the Baptist needed to be there before the gospel came and so he still needs to be. And so I am so thankful that God crashed my mountains down. I'm so thankful that he came and got me. Now, when you look at John, who's genuinely humble, genuinely humble, you look and then you say, oh, I pulled the last verse from, from 2 Corinthians. Paul said, we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord and ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. You don't preach yourself. John was uncomfortable with all the questions about you. What about you? What about you? And he was like, he just got more and more curt, short little answers because he couldn't stand it. His purpose was to talk about the Lord, not to talk about himself. So as we are like that, we don't preach ourselves. Don't come to our church because we're wonderful people. And it's such a loving place. That's not what you do. You tell people that they need the Lord or there is nothing for them. And that, that you've got a bunch of simple people who meet here together because we've escaped damnation. And we're so happy about that, that we love each other for Jesus' sake. So we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. That's what we are. We're the servants of this town. We're the lowest doormat of this town. And that's what we do. And that's how we act. Praise the Lord that he would come and find us, find us doing what we were told to do.